Welcome to the 12 Inquiries. I am Luis. I'm David. We are two 40-year-old dudes who like to talk about stuff kind of obsessively. And today, we're going to get into nostalgia, specifically tech nostalgia. I, I would describe myself as an early adopter. I don't know if you would as well. I mean, that's not how I'm going to introduce myself, but I am an early adopter. I, I buy gadgets early. I test software early. That's, I just don't own up to it so much. So as, as early adopters, I think our relationship with tech is a little bit different than the average consumer. Early adopter oftentimes means that you're using versions of tech that hasn't been polished. It's not just like I was the first one to buy the latest iPhone. It's I was, the, I was like early to buy iPhones, period. We're coming at it from a place that's a little bit different than the average consumer who tends to hop onto tech trends once they've already gone through a little bit of, of polish, a little bit of working out the, the kinks and the bugs. Completely. And I like the kinks. I'm drawn to them. I wanted the very first iPad. And then being able to install... Yeah, it does sound weird to say I want the kinks in the tech, but I do. Like being able to install Linux on the very first iPod and play around with it and break it and did then you? fix it. Huh? I never Absolutely. did that. I've never modded oh, iPods. Great. I still have an iPod, uh, the second to last iPod. I still have it and it works. And I'm very tempted to, I've seen some really cool mods where they replace the spinning hard drive with an SSD drive. I'm so out of it at this point, but I remember back then, like, yeah, that was a way to be able to make the iPod be, because it, it, I mean, it, it felt massive at the time in terms of storage capacity. Well, I don't even know what year this would have been. This would have been like 2002. Am I making that up? 2003? No, 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 no. The, the very first ones. Yeah, it was early 2000s around there. I'm not sure exactly when. I don't remember. And I feel like it had around 20 gigabytes, which is, no, which is huge. Dude. Is that way too much? The first, the first iPod had yeah. five. Okay. Five gigabytes. I mean, that felt like a lot at the time. That was probably more than my laptop had, I think. Anyways, the, the Linux mod, like being able to install Linux and boot Linux on, the, on that first iPod meant that I could use it as an external hard drive. And I was also able to, there was some, the very first podcast app, I think it was Dave Weiner uh, made it. You were somehow able to like automatically update the podcast on your iPod back then in 2003 that I was able to do for road trips. It blew, it blew me. I felt like I was living so far into the future by having one of these gadgets. I remember that. I remember the podcast app. It was, podcasting was super new. And this was a really elegant automated way to, you know, just like, boom, connect your iPod, get the latest episodes and listen to them on the go. I think a big part of the evolution of tech and our relationship with tech in the 21st century has been the introduction of technology as a personal object, an object that you take with you everywhere you go. Whereas for the most part, exceptions, obviously, in audio, Walkman, CD Walkmans, or whatever. But technology was mostly something that you had in your home, and you interacted with it in that context. And you, um, most people, I was carrying, you know, digital cameras and MP3 players and PDAs and everything. I, I looked like a, like a, you know, deformed kangaroo when I left the house. But there's a lot to be said about the fact that suddenly being able to, to do so much on the go 
was really revolutionary. I mean, you're making me wanting, want to dive right in. Like when I was able to put podcasts on the iPod, it was the first step between when I could choose what I was going to listen to in the car rather than just listening to the radio or the same five CDs over and over again. Um, but it was before reacting to whatever Spotify served up for me. So it was like, it was the perfect sweet spot between choice and expansive content and be able to listen to people all over the world, but not feeling so overwhelmed of, I have access to everything and I have, you know, I'm just going to react to whatever the algorithm says. But I feel like we're jumping ahead a little bit. Like, do you want to, do you want to set up the conversation? I actually think you're setting it up perfectly because a great deal of the source for me, at least of this nostalgia is yearning for something that was lost, right? And that's nostalgia in general. But when it comes to technology, I think convenience has eliminated a few things that seemed like a good idea. Like, oh, who wants to bother with building playlists, for example? And I remember there was apps for iTunes uh, before iTunes integrated the capacity to create genius playlists, there were third-party apps that would integrate with your library and you could say, hey, make me a playlist like this. And it would. And that felt kind of amazing, right? And it felt like a really cool way to discover new music. But at the same time, it eliminated choice. The iPod was recently officially discontinued in the iPod, the iPod Touch version, which was the last one that was still available. So it was like, it, it forced a lot of looking back. And I think it's interesting that we just kind of fell into the conversation using the iPod as an example. What, what are the things that, that are lost? What do you feel has been lost broadly in the technology that we have today and how it functions in our day-to-day -day lives versus I feel like it's three time periods. The 90s, when we were teenagers, the, I want to say mid-noughts to maybe 2012, 2015, and then present day 2020s, right? So for me, at least in my head, it's broken up into those three chunks. You go, you go first. Why would you break it up into those three, into those three time periods? Okay. Well, one, because the 90s are the 90s, man. <laughs> like, I think the 90s, like the 80s, are so, so distinct. In a way, I don't know why, but the first 15 years of the 21st century just feel like a big chunk of time. They don't feel as distinct. So the 90s for me, in terms of technology, it was this transition as a, as a sort of right on the line Gen Xer to you know, first millennials. Exennials. that's what we are. It was, it was a transition from the sort of technology that dominated the 60s, 70s, and 80s, which was analog, television, radio, some portable music, like pre-internet, early internet. I actually remember connecting to bulletin board services in the early 90s, like 1991, because they were still around. And that was interesting and exciting. And I was like, ooh, look. And I, I vividly remember finding porn and being like, this is amazing. Even though it took like five minutes for like, you know, a boob to show up. But so, so that to me, like that was the nineties, right? It was like this, this transition from zero digital connectivity, a childhood in the eighties where computers were primarily about software that you put on disks and you had specific uses, whether it was games or typing. I remember having an architecture program on my Commodore 64 that I used to like to play with. So to me, the transition from that sort of use of technology in the eighties to the nineties where suddenly things start making leaps that felt futuristic, I guess is the word that, that I'm going for. And as a child who grew up consuming copious amounts of science fiction, 
to finally have things that felt like the future was super exciting. So for me, early internet, early chat rooms, ICQ, that kind of stuff in the 90s felt remarkable because suddenly I could have a conversation with someone that was on you know, like the other side of the world. I know that that wasn't exclusive to the internet. People who had like ham radios you know, in the 60s and 70s had similar experiences. But for me, the 90s were suddenly about this expansion of, of possibilities. That was super cool and super interesting. But it was still a very sort of computer-focused interaction. It was like, this is the internet. You can look for information. Uh, you have like the one computer in the house. Nobody could pick up the phone while you were using it because you would get disconnected. It, it, there was all these like obstacles to its use, but it was still remarkable. So that to me defines a huge chunk of the 90s. We had all of this interesting tech that was starting to happen. Caller ID, just to throw one out there, that felt like really cool and magical. And I remember feeling very clever because I'd pick up the phone and, you know, like say the person's name and freak them out. What do you, what do you remember when you think back to your interaction with technology as a teenager? When I think about myself as a teenager, I think about my pager and I think about my Sony Walkman. Those were my two, those were my two gadgets that I had that went with me everywhere. Cassette? Uh-huh. Cassette. Cassette or Cassette. CD? I don't know that I ever had a CD Walkman because remember how they would skip so much? Even the more expensive ones with like the anti-skipping technology. They did eventually get kind of good though. Like I remember having a couple that were like, I <laughs> poor CDs. I remember taking and going and like smacking it to try to make it skip. And some of them had like up to a minute of skip protection. And I thought that was like, wow, this is amazing. Totally. It's true. I think some of my friends had, I don't know what it was. I think, am I right in remembering that like with cassettes, we would make mixtapes, right? And that, that was like, of course, you yeah. the mixtape for the girl you had a crush on or for a guy friend or whatever. It was just a whole art of, of the mixtape. And with CDs, I feel like burning CDs didn't come until later. And that, is that right? There was a gap. Yeah, between like when you would have a CD Walkman compared to when you would burn CDs on your computer. And, and that's a really interesting thing because when, when cassette Walkmans came out, you could already record onto the medium. Like it was, it was in parallel. Yeah. Whereas being able to author a CD to like burn a CD didn't happen until, I don't know if it was like 98, 99 or into the early 2000s, but like broadly commercially available where like it wasn't an expensive thing. It took a while for sure. I, I still remember early CDRs were super expensive as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, versus versus cassettes, which never I were. I spent way too much money on CDs of like, you know, my, my high school restaurant <laughs> cafe income. I spent all of it on CDs. And then I spent way too much time making mixtapes and burning CDs. And then also... What was the opposite of burning CDs when you read the CD to save it into your iTunes library? Rip it, rip it, dude. There was a whole campaign. Right. <laughs> so what I want to say here that if, if given the opportunity to spend all of those years of time and all of that disposable income on like making mixtapes and buying CDs, like would I spend my money that way now, if I were to go back in time, knowing what was coming, I mean, I feel like the answer is no, obviously not. But the fact that I did spend so much time with it is what made it meaningful. 
And now I barely spend time doing anything because I'm because I'm trying to stuff in so much into a single day, including today, that it, meet, it makes each experience less meaningful. And that's where I think the nostalgia is. I think the nostalgia is twofold. One is that each tool had its purpose, right? I would pick up my Walkman to listen to music and that's it. Now, if I'm listening to music on my phone, I'm probably doing five other things at the same time. So the lack of intentionality, the lack of focus, never, I mean, I, I still, you know, there's certain songs if they come on, um, nights, night sleeping, wait, night swimming, the REM song, night swimming, when that comes on, it just takes me back to this one mixtape that I would play over and over again. And that's not going to happen now with the way that I listen to Spotify because I don't listen to albums over and over again. So for me, that's like the marked difference between, I don't feel like I have the, I don't feel like I have those three eras that like you do. For me, it's kind of intentional, intentional technology with a lot of time spent with the content versus sometime around 2010 to 2015 becoming very dispersed and reactive and all of these technologies getting bundled into one device. Convergence kind of sucks. And, and I think you hit upon something that as I look across my desk and my studio, I'm struck by how much we lost with Convergence. And there's an undeniable convenience to these devices that we have that can do, you know, everything. It's very cool. It's very futuristic, but we lost one deliberateness, which you mentioned, but there's another thing that we lost in this transition, which is by having memory tied to physicality, to physical objects, our brains store it differently. And I feel like this is, Maybe I'm making this up, but maybe this was like an article that I read somewhere where it talks about that, about the way that when you, when you form a memory and it's associated with a place or a physicality, it, it's stored and it has a relevance that's different from when things aren't connected to the physical world, right? I know where I read it. I read it in an article that spoke about the, the, the difference in learning when you're reading on a screen versus a physical book. And this was really fascinating because it spoke about how when you're reading a physical book, you have a sense, a physical sense of where you are in the narrative because you're holding it. You can feel how many pages in you are and how many pages are left. You can feel the heft of the book. That same book, when you turn it into an ebook, becomes abstract. The text is the same and you can still read it but you're not reading it with a sense of where you were in the book while you read it. It's weird. It's like knowing where you are in a city because you've walked the city versus the intellectual knowledge of, of looking at it on a map. So when you talk about the memory of that REM song being tied to the physical tape, it's very unlikely that we'll ever have that connection with a playlist that we listen to, to on Spotify on the same device that we do a billion other things, right? It gets cluttered. And so you talk about making mixtapes mix and I'm going to single in on the mixtape because it's had a resurgence, man. If you go to Amazon right now, bands are selling their music. on. Oh, tape. hell yeah. 
I'm in the Hague right now, and there all of the music like records are huge, like they are everywhere. There's a lot of vinyl, which is you know a, another form of nostalgia. <laughs> but tapes are all over the place, and and it's a vinyl. You can still make the argument that it has a warmth, and that in some ways the audio quality is superior. So it's not just the object, right? I just bought a beautiful vinyl edition of the the Her, the movie, the Spike Jones movie from 2013, the Her soundtrack that was composed by Arcade Fire. I I was in LA and I just bought like the, the vinyl edition. It's gorgeous. The vinyl's white. It's just, it's a beautiful object. But the audio is also, it has it has its benefits versus listening to the file on Apple Music. With tapes, everything is shittier. Definitely. The tape, the quality of the music is shittier. You can't skip to like the song you want. So you have to like fast forward, like all of it is shittier, but it, it gives you back physicality, right? It's an object and objects, I think it turns out matter. So when we talk algae, a lot of what I'm seeing is people that are re-embracing media that had a physical representation, CDs, vinyls, tapes, VHSs, DVDs, Blu-rays. I still buy Blu-rays and it feels stupid to buy a Blu-ray. It really does. I buy Criterion Collection Blu-rays because they're nice objects, but they take up space and then I have to dust them because you have to dust objects and that sucks, but it's like books, right? I think it's an, it's an amazing experience for anyone who comes to visit you or if you have children and then you pass those physical objects onto them. My grandmother just handed me an archive of letters that her parents, she's 92, and her parents passed away before I ever met my great grandparents. And so these were physical Christmas letters and physical letters that they had written to her when she was younger than I am now. And it's so badass to feel the paper to see, I don't know, the font that they use with the typewriters, I guess, that they were using to see like whiteouts and mistakes that they made or like little misspellings. And it does seem not as satisfying to leave an archive of emails, digital journal entries, digital photos. The stuff can be printed out. But, you know, you said something about sometimes it feels stupid to buy a, a, a blu-ray disc or or whatnot and this is this is something that i struggle with you and i have attempted to kind of re-engage with letter writing right through a specific yeah. app that basically limited its functionality and i and i think that i've tried this a little bit i think you've tried it more is trying to adopt new applications to create in the way that we used to a decade ago and then I, for the most part, don't continue using them because it, it doesn't feel authentic to me. I feel like I'm forcing it too much. I mean, what's your experience? I feel like you're a little bit better about using older technology and not just necessarily using the new thing that's coming out. So the app thing is very interesting because it, it goes back a few years. I remember, I don't know, I want to say when the iPhone 4 came out. There were, there were, well, there was a, an app that exploded in popularity at the time called Hipstamatic. And it was this photo app that had all these like vintage filters. This was even before Instagram uh, really was a 
And it was amazing, man. Like your, your camera would look like an old viewfinder and you could put all of these weird filters and it felt really cool. And everybody was super into it. And Hipstagram really dropped the ball because like they could have been Instagram, but they didn't. Then Instagram came out. Whenever I come across like an Instagram account where it's got an old feed and I scroll to the back to the very first ones, I'm amazed by how crap those it's unbelievable. are, you know, and like, yeah. how, oh and my God, the they look terrible. And we were too. so into it. So bad. The combination of both is just like, it's, it's just a, a steaming pile of shit. And everybody was super into it. So I've had issues with, with, with nostalgia and technology because I do, I, I get it and I get what we're missing. And it, it seems like a nice, convenient way to replace it. I've used photo apps that don't let you see the photos until you shoot the full roll of you know 24 or 36 pictures i've i've used other apps where like you take the pictures and and you can't see them until they're developed like 24 hours later some let you set it for like a week later like really well-intentioned facsimiles and in that sense it feels like a dystopian version it feels like saying we're going to live in a bunker but it's okay cuz there's a screen that shows you the outside you know, and I think human beings are very attuned to, to bullshit in that sense. Not bullshit in general, because we will eat it right up. But I think when it comes to things that are pretending to be something else, there is, there is a sense of like, uh, this isn't quite right. And so for me, my experience with these apps and technologies has always been that they serve more as a reminder of the value in what we lost in the deliberateness of having spaces focused on individual things, whether it's music on one device or reading the newspaper in a physical object as opposed to on an iPad screen, watching movies because you sat down and you put the thing in and you're watching the movie. They become evidence of how the rituals have been lost. I find to my chagrin that I have like you less time to spend with these things when I know that there's a slightly more convenient way to do it. The only thing I've managed to consistently use is my, my record player, my vinyls. It's not so much of an inconvenience that I can't like get up and put a vinyl on while I start my day and work. The deliberateness, the intentionalness of technology, I think is very cool. I do miss, and this is another thing that I miss from Technostalgia, and when I talk about those three eras, eras, the reason that there's a, a second one and it's not just a before and after is that that early 2000s, like the noughts to like the early 2010s, still felt like a period where technology was very hackable, adaptable. I could play with things. I could open laptops. I dabbled in repairing computers. And back then, all you needed was the right screwdriver and I could crack open an iBook and replace the hard drive and do all this stuff that's become less and less accessible. And as tech has, has started to move into depending more and more on the cloud, I think it's become less and less hackable. I think that's a really interesting point that maybe something else that we're nostalgic for is having a better understanding of how these things work. Like I used to know almost the entire code base of WordPress when it was very simple blogging software. And that made me feel so competent. Like it made me feel like I've got a relationship with this blogging platform. Now I have no idea how it works. And it, it, I kind of have a similar relationship with cars. Like I used to know how to fix the basic things in a car. 
now cars have become so complicated that there's just no way. And I think that actually I've, I think that I've developed a relationship to cycling and to bicycles specifically because they are still simple enough <laughs> that I can figure out how, how they work. I, I want to shift gears a little bit in the conversation because we haven't talked about our relationship to nostalgia itself. And I have a pretty knee-jerk negative reaction to nostalgia because I feel like in politics anyways, it's often in opposition to progress and progressivism. I mean, nostalgia in a lot of ways reminds me of the Trump slogan of make America great again, of this kind of conservative idea of if we could only go back to you know the simpler times when everything was better. And it's oftentimes a question of better for whom. Um, but, you know, so, so I wonder, are we, are we not recognizing the value of the things that have changed, all of the amazingness? Like I'm, I'm traveling this week and it's become just so easy and delightful to travel because it's very easy to meet people in another place now. Um, it's so easy to find sides to that. There are downsides that Google Maps knows the types of cafes and restaurants I'm going to like somewhere. On the other hand, I come to the city and they're like, you're probably going to like these cafes and you're probably going to like these restaurants. And they were right. And I love the food. I love the ambiance. Everything's perfect. I'm able to find a local cycling club very easy and go cycling with some folks. And then we are able to keep in touch so fast. All of those things are really great. And I feel like maybe we're undervaluing them. We're undervaluing some technologies that have been created or improved over the past five years for things that we're nostalgic for. So I guess, do, does that resonate for you? And, and also, what do you think are the technologies that we use today that have only been developed in the past five or 10 years that we're going to be nostalgic for 20 years from now or 15 years from now? Great pivot because... When I hear the word nostalgia, I get all warm, fuzzy feelings. It does have that negative connotation. It can be used for evil. As, as you said, the Trump years clearly prove that. But man, I'm a sucker for it. I'm a sucker for both lived nostalgia, like nostalgia for things that I lived through, and like the manufactured nostalgia of watching something like Mad Men and thinking, oh man, drinking a lot of whiskey at the office sounds amazing. Or, you know, like, oh yeah, smoking cigarettes in a bar looks cool. Like I'm, I'm it's pathetic. I'm such a sucker for these things. You know, I watch Bridgerton, which is manufactured nostalgia. Like the Regency era didn't actually look like that. And I'm like, that's amazing. Can I say amazing. one thing like, about cool. Mad Men? I hate, I hate the smell of cigarettes, but there's something about that scene where they're smoking on the plane it just looks so badass to me. I'm like, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to smoke a cigarette. And right? I, would, I would hate that if I was sitting next to someone smoking on a plane. Yes, definitely. Great comment on the Mad Men thing. And it speaks a lot to the way nostalgia can sit in our brains. I, I wonder if there is, is kind of an underlying connection between Make America Great Again nostalgia and the type of nostalgia that, I, that we're talking about with how we relate to technology in that we used to have more a feeling, a perception of more freedom, more influence and more agency. And I think for a lot of the types of people who do vote for Trump, which in large part is older white men, definitely not only older white men, but, but people who had more agency, felt like they had more freedom, felt like they had more influence, 
in the past, politically, right? Or maybe at the workplace or just in terms of their reputation, how they're treated by the media. And when we're talking about mm -hmm. nostalgia for technology, I also feel like a lot of what I'm nostalgic for is, is honestly like a sense of control or agency in how I'm using these tools so that I'm using them to do what I want them to do rather than they are using me to follow the business model that makes sense for them. A hundred percent. In fact, I think that nostalgia that led to people voting for Trump, not all of it, because some of it was based on, on racism and a perceived sense of like becoming minority and, 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 you know, loss of privilege or white privilege. So Yes, I agree that 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 sense of loss is a sense of a loss of agency, and I think different groups attribute it to different things. I don't think it's it's political, and I don't think it's because of minorities or wokeness or progressiveness. I think it has more to do with the way technology has evolved. I acknowledge what you're saying about the delightfulness when technology does work in our favor. When I was in Italy in 2018, it was fantastic that Google Maps made me feel more confident about just like exploring because I, I I knew where I was all the time. Whereas when I was there in the mid 90s, you know, I, I had I stopped at an internet cafe to print out a map quest, you know, and it felt a little bit more, a little scarier. There was less discoverability, less precise discoverability. I probably stumbled across a, and ended up eating at a few tourist traps. You can avoid those things with modern technology, but then that gets back to this thing of, I feel like as humans, we are really terrible at understanding how sometimes things that aren't awesome, like boredom or getting lost in a city, can positively contribute to our life experiences and to our stories. So maybe stopping at that terrible tourist trap in Florence when I was 16 and having an overpriced pizza that disappointed me maybe that was a, a net positive for my brain or my life experiences. Our lives, our entire lifetime from you know 1980 to now has just been a, a constant and pretty quick process of removing constraints, right? You can do anything, you can buy anything, you can be anything. And I think only in the past couple of years have we gotten to the point where we're like, wait a minute, do we, do we get rid of too many constraints in our life? Are there, are there some places in life where we would be better off, we would be happier to have more constraints, even if it doesn't feel that way at the time? But you didn't answer my question about what, what are the tools, the gadgets, the technologies from today that you think will be nostalgic for in the future? Because I think at the time, it would have been very difficult for me to predict that I would be nostalgic about my Sony Walkman, but not my Sony Vio laptop, or that I would be very nostalgic about IRC, but not AOL Instant Messenger, when I spent actually a lot more time using AOL, AOL Instant Messenger. But there was just a sort there was a type of, yep. there were some features or some ways that, that I was able to use IRC, I think it's kind of its extensibility that I'm you know, it's, it's basically Slack these days, but I'm nostalgic for the old school tool. And I, I wouldn't have been able to predict that at the time. So do you feel like you have a good sense of what from today you're going to be nostalgic for and what you won't be? So in my defense, 
It was a multi-part question <laughs> and I answered some of it, but you're right. That last bit I conveniently ignored because the truth is I don't, I don't actually know. I feel like the trend towards cloudiness, like cloud-based everything might eventually make me nostalgic for something as simple as like a hard drive, mm. you know? And my hard drives are, are 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 huge they're massive and and but still like i'm looking at the eight terabyte hard drive that i have with you know movies and tv shows and it's my plex server and the whole thing and i recognize that eventually if bandwidth really takes a leap which i feel like it hasn't in a while it might stop making sense to have terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of storage sitting mm -hmm. on my desk for example, I feel like I might eventually miss the physicality of having a laptop and an iPad and an iPhone if these things start becoming more cloud-based and suddenly the interfaces, if I'm really going like cyberpunky future where maybe these things are implants, because that's the other side of it. As an early adopter, I don't know if that'll ever change, but I, I can see myself as a 60-year-old going like, fuck yeah, I'm getting that ocular mm -hmm. implant. That looks cool, you know? So- we might eventually miss the physicality of that, of, of having a physical phone that's an object that they're beautiful. iPhones are beautiful objects. They're very well crafted. They're made out of glass. They're, you know, they're, they're lovely. So I, I feel like we may continue to lose physical objects so much so that one of the, I, I just added it to our notion workspace. One of the topics I want to discuss in the future is the value of physical objects as almost talismans as representatives of who we are. Part of the reason I buy books, even if I have the EPUB version is because I like looking at them. I like that somebody can walk into my office and look down and see, oh, he has, you know, the William Gibson Blue Ant trilogy in hardback, like, and that can detonate a conversation. Our digital stuff isn't viewable most of the time by anybody except ourselves. So it's very isolating. Well, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I wonder if the metaverse will change this. So you, you have to, the conversation that we were having before we started recording is before your video came on, it was your uh, Zoom profile pic or avatar, whatever you would call it. And there, right. you, there's yeah. a laptop that you have customized, right? In your Memoji, which does have, I was about to call them physical objects, does have virtual representations of things that you're into. And and that that might be that that's kind of that's sure. what the metaverse is, right? Like you, I mean, isn't that the whole idea of of uh, NFTs? Is that we're going to spend money to buy socks that represent us in virtual spaces? One of the things that I do find interesting is if we ever get to a place where the metaverse itself is feels physical, then then yeah, something like my Memoji stickers might just be just as visible, right? We might meet in the metaverse in the equivalent of my space in my apartment where you can look around and see stuff that I like. In some ways, it reminds me of the beautiful clusterfuck that was a MySpace profile page oh, in the knots, right? Because yeah, yeah. they were so customizable, which could be horrible, but Given the, tr I never look at anyone's Facebook profile page. They're you would boring. Never, you would never insane. judge someone's identity based on 
what their Facebook profile looks like, right? Maybe the photos, the content, the links they put up. But with MySpace, if someone the has photos, like this crazy blinking gold thing, you're like, oh, they're that type of person. <laughs> so let me try a couple out on you of things that I think I'm gonna be nostalgic for in the future. But as you were speaking, I started to think more about like, well, what are the new technologies, like what you said about everything going to the cloud? I'm like, yeah, we are gonna get rid of hard drives. There's not gonna be a reason to store anything local. In fact, this just happened to me. My, my wife just asked me for an external hard drive because she wanted to back up some files. And I was like, well, we've got still 500 gigabytes of iCloud space available, just drag them over. She's like, but it's a lot. And I was like, it doesn't matter, just put it on there. So yes, I agree with the nostalgic for hard drives for, for like, you know, having files that we, that are in physical proximity to us. I remember feeling a difference between mm -hmm. MP3 files and Spotify streaming files. There was like digital, there was this idea of digital ownership, whether it really existed or not. So one thing that I think will be interesting to see who between the two of us adopts augmented reality glasses first. And it's probably gonna be the Apple ones, right? And they're probably gonna be really expensive when they first come out. Cause I think they're doing the, the VR headset first. And then like a year later, they'll do the AR one. I read some um, speculation that it'll cost like $2,000 when they first come out, which is a big investment. So one thing that I'm sure I'll get rid of if I do get AR glasses will be my bike computer. That's the little thing that goes on the front of the bicycle that tells me like it has maps. So it helps me with my navigation. Uh, it tells me how fast I'm going. It actually has a lot of data on it. It has my heart rate. It has like how hard I'm pushing down on the pedals. <laughs> but all of that stuff makes a lot more sense to have right in front of my eyes. So I don't have to look down and I keep, I can keep my eyes on the road, but it's sort of in my peripheral vision. So I'll, sure. I'll be nostalgic for my bike computer. I'm sure that there are other things. I'll probably be nostalgic for taking my phone out of my pocket or like, you know, I will, I will I continue to use an Apple watch if I have that same information on glasses? Maybe, maybe not. The other thing that I'm going to be nostalgic for is really bad advertising. Like adver personalized advertising has got to get better really fast. It already is. You know, it's like, it's, it's pretty... It's pretty homed in on um, on Instagram and so on. But on my Kindle, I still get the worst ads that have nothing to do with me at all. And it's I'm going to be nostalgic for the day when the algorithms weren't so smart, when they didn't know us so well, better than we know ourselves. I, I agree with with those things. I think I think there was something to be said about the shared experiences that we've lost as we've become more not become as as we as consumers have more ability to choose what i mean by that is watching the same television show at the same time because that's when it aired or catching the same commercials because they were on all the time and even if it didn't matter to you because you were never going to buy uh double mint gum you you know you had that shared experience the good ones and the bad ones so for me, it's less about, you know, crappy commercials. It's more about the fact that I wasn't the only one seeing them, right? And now you're only going to see it if some algorithm thinks that you're or, its target. Or if you launch a podcast with your friend and you have specific issues or topics that you're going to report about, then you become much more intentional about reading about those things together. That's an actually, it's a, that's a great uh, topic. And I, and I kind of feel like it's a good note to close on, which is, 
you mentioned it at the beginning, deliberateness, intentionality in the way we consume media, in the way we discover things, in the way we interact with things. I think it requires discipline, but I also think that it it's rich. It's it's really wonderful. And this podcast has provided an excuse to be deliberate and not to just be a passive consumer of what's trending or what an algorithm thinks I'm going to like. I have really enjoyed having the excuse to be very deliberate about exploring and researching topics because of this podcast. And in that sense, I feel that more than a nostalgia for a specific technology, some people are using that nostalgia and those that old tech as a as a way, as a shortcut to to reconnect with deliberateness. So my vinyl connection forces me to be deliberate in a way that streaming music never will. Finding excuses to be deliberate in how we consume things is a really good way to take back a little bit of the power that we've ceded to these tech companies, to the technology itself, and to just say, today I want to learn about this. For sure. I absolutely agree. I think that's a great place to end. All right, brother. A pleasure as always. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm still convinced it's two people, but eventually it might be three. So thank you for your time. No, this is our third episode. Exactly. It's got to be four people at least. <laughs> All right. Awesome, man. Thanks a lot.